Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates and ready to go. OutKick 360 is underway from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. We are back. Thursday edition NFL debut this evening. We are underway between the Bills and the Rams out in L.A. We're going to preview that game and much more of week one with Armando Salguero of Outkick.com. He joins us in hour number two. 20 minutes from now, the latest SEC notes and headlines from Trey Wallace, our SEC columnist and reporter for Outkick.com. And in between, football discussion and more. Gentlemen, good afternoon. I admire Paul's stick to itiveness with the tie just went went all in with it today i feel like we're at an audition and hutton and i are auditioning for one role yeah. and then paul's waiting to audition for another role in the same uh production well hutton I and i it. at a memorial service this morning and he uh he didn't go with the tie but he was more ambitious in terms of a wardrobe change than i was i just when i got dressed this morning said i i'm not going to practice after this and it's been cold in the studio so i'll just stick with it I, I we once we uh, once did a show at a university where they thought you were a professor. So yeah, where was I coming from that morning? I had uh, I I was um, talking at uh, as part of something that morning, and I I stayed and I had just gotten new clothes, so I was in new new oh that's <laughs> dressy right. clothes. That was that the morning. what was the something where you basically listed your style and they sent you right. The, the wardrobes, right? Yeah. And you were trying that a out box. for a while. And, and it was a really good box. And uh, I showed up and you guys made fun of me. And I said, uh, no, I think I started the show. I was like, it's a whole new thing around here. And we're going to have to start dressing up and looking the part, boys. I, join on or lose out. Paul, I think you should just lean into it and always show up in a tie. Yeah. Here, it just becomes I don't have enough thing. ties. I'd have, to, I'd have to shop. I've got just, some like outdated ties. <laughs> no jacket, ties. just shirt and tie everywhere you go. Yeah, I've got some outdated ties. Uh, I don't wear ties to games as often as I used to. It's more like a collared shirt and jacket world. Uh, I think Hutton's on board with that. Oh yeah, that's kind of the way it's gone. I need a new jacket or two to diversify. I yeah, like. I don't. I, I can't remember the last time I wore a tie other than being in someone's wedding and being forced to. It's typically sports coat and shirt. Yeah, no tie. And it was if about Hunt and I are 50, doing games together, today. we always send the text. We're going jacket with yeah. shirt, no tie, no right? Tie. Yep, that's what we're doing. Perfect. I'd say it was about fifty-fifty today this morning at Mark Howard's memorial, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, the Nashville sportscaster who passed away about six weeks ago. I was surprised because there was a lot of sports media members there. I was surprised I didn't see more polos and jeans. I did see one pair of sneakers on a radio guy. But, but which did he I have a sports coat on at least? No. Uh, long sleeve shirt, I think. No jacket. Uh, and sneakers. Was it like a, like a coaches versus cancer type look. look where they're wearing the basketball shoes on the, uh, Mark, with the nice Mark clothes Mark would have appreciated it. Yeah. Yeah, Mark would appreciate it. Somebody joked, I wish I could give proper credit, who joked that we should have all worn hoodies yeah. in Mark's <laughs> honor because Mark was a big hoodie guy. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. Hopefully you're watching the show today. 
Uh, we are uh, live across the Outkick Network as well through our great uh, radio partners. Um, NFL opening night. Bills a road favorite this evening. Later we'll have one big thing on every NFL game. Uh, but here are the Buffalo Bills, the decided favorite by the majority of the media, the majority of the, the football fans. If you're picking a pool, I think the majority of you would pick Buffalo to win the Super Bowl. Um, and they're favored on the road tonight against the defending champs with Matthew Stafford and company and that great uh, Rams defense. We'll see if Buffalo can actually find a run game. I've seen a lot of, like, reverse now with a lot of people saying too many people are picking the Bills, defending Super Bowl champs are, are getting points. you got to go with the Rams. So I feel like there's a boomerang effect going on there. I won't be surprised either way. I, I expect a close... <laughs> Field goal game, probably decided on the last possession. Uh, two good teams, and I won't be surprised. But a lot of people are making, oh, the Bills traveling cross country. I, I don't think the Bills traveling cross country. First off, home field was less valuable than it's ever been last year, and I think that trend is going to continue. Secondly, week one traveling across the country is not a factor. Week 13 traveling across the country yeah. is a factor. Week one, when you haven't done, much, I don't know where they went in the preseason and if they've got nine home games or eight home games, and if they've made two trips, but I'm sure they haven't gone far in the preseason. You are not travel-wary week one. Only six times has the preseason favorite for the Super Bowl actually won it. Um, any, I mean, you guys would know the teams. Buffalo, so Buffalo's out there all of a sudden, even though it's almost like they won the playoff game against Kansas City with the reaction to how they... You know, they return off the 13 seconds and all that. Um, the, the other ones are pretty simple uh, to figure I'll, out. I'll go Patriots in 04. Yep. And the back-to-back. The Cowboys, one of those teams, when they went the, uh, two or three times in a row. Since Dallas, it, it's happened six times where the Super Bowl favorite, according to Vegas, won has it. actually won the Super Bowl. 49ers, one of the yeah. 49ers dynasties, one years. of the Pittsburgh's dynasties. So San Francisco, back-to-back years in the 80s. Dallas. Dallas in 93. New England in 2016 and 2018, and Indianapolis in 2006, where they went, uh, what was it, in Florida, I believe, and uh, beat the Bears. Little surprise, New England 04, also not on that list, after winning in 03. That was their back-to-back Super Bowl championships. I'm glad, glad having no knowledge of that question, I really am impressed with our ability to immediately give you the answers, what it was. and listen, I say this time and time again, the unpredictability of the NFL is the number one thing it's got going for it. And the, the fact that there's no clear-cut favorite, or maybe there's a clear-cut favorite, but the odds of the clear-cut favorite winning it are low is one of the enormous reasons why the NFL is as good a product as it is. That, that there are going to be three games this weekend that we come in on Monday and say, Oh, my God, can you believe so-and-so won? Nobody saw that coming. It's completely preposterous. We're talking about my knockout pool that I'm in and how San Francisco cannot possibly go lose to Chicago. But we all know. Or the Titans can't possibly lose lose to to the the Giants. Giants. And it's completely possible that those games go the other way. I agree with you, Paul. It's one of the best-selling points of the NFL, the parity that's involved in the league. But I also don't know that it's a great thing if 60% of your league is winning 9 or 10 games. And everyone's kind of right down the middle of the line. It is good to have a villain. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, who's the villain this season that's a really good team? Because for years and years, it was the Patriots, no doubt about it. I like going into a season where there's a big favorite 
and everyone's rooting against that favorite. With the favorite being the Bills this year, People no one's rooting Bills. against the Bills, yeah. who lost four straight Super Bowls losers. the last time they were yeah. there. So I don't know. Is it the Rams? Well, we're in a transition phase where these teams haven't established themselves, just like we're in a transition phase with quarterbacks. Hutton said yesterday he's ready for the old guard to fade and the new guard to take over. And if that, that may happen all the way this year, it's or it may some, happen but it hasn't a little bit more. But in two more years, it's happened all the way. And in two more years, Chad, I think we'll have a villain. But I, I, I'm more anti-dynasty. And we haven't had – football's been just fine. And outside of the Patriots, um, who are certainly a dynasty, but they haven't won back-to-back uh, very often since, what, 04. Yeah, they're the last and the league's been perfectly healthy with that. And they've been v- villain, villains nonetheless because they've won a lot and frequently – but not back-to-back. And I think somebody will establish that role. But I think it's okay if you're not massive villains for a long, long time. And I think the Patriots are probably the last team to do it that much that long if the quarterbacks we're looking at pan out because it's not just two like it was with Brady, Manning, and then maybe a third or fourth guy. It seems like it could be more. But we'll find out. In the, in the next three years, maybe a couple of these guys don't turn out to be as great as we thought, or they're not as well coached as we think, or uh, the franchise stability isn't what we imagine. Well, and I think so much of it's quarterback-driven, like everything in football, that you root against the quarterback you hate. Right. More so than the franchise or the team. Right? If you were a longtime Tom Brady hater, which there's not as many of them now, you're rooting against Tampa Bay's success. If you don't like Aaron Rodgers, you're rooting against the Packers. I don't know that there's that evil empire out there other than a lot of America if you're not in with the Cowboys you root against the Cowboys and don't like them I don't get the sense it could be the Browns if Deshaun Watson was eligible to start the season but I don't get a big sense of this is the team that most of the league wants to lose that should be really good or should win it's a lot of again not that it's bad for the league it's a lot of feel-good stories I want the Bills to do well and win. Who hasn't won as, as a franchise in a long time? Teams that you guys like, like the Chargers, these are sort of feel-good stories with some of these teams, right? Yeah, well, but the hated, no team, real the hated team In order right to become now. hated, you have to be liked to begin with. Michael Jordan was the same way through the dynasty with the Bulls. Growing up, you were a Bull... There were Chicago Bulls jackets for Christmas. You wanted everything. And then, then you eventually, get sick of them. Yeah, and eventually you get sick of it because you have the up-and-coming group like the Orlando Magic with Penny Hardaway and Shaquille O'Neal that you want to see win and knock them off. And yeah, Brady was hated until he went to the box, and everyone wanted to see him win without Belichick. He re- uh, boomerang. So, so the team well, to me show more of his personality gets, too, which helped out. The team to me that gets to the hated status. Maybe they're on the verge of it. I don't know. They haven't done quite enough winning. It's Kansas City. Yeah, they're the ones that I was. Spot on. I was about to say, if they had won one more Super Bowl... They'd be right there. Then they're probably the team, okay, now I'm tired of Patrick Mahomes and KC. Let's have someone else do something. And here's the trick to the league. Uh, Being able to sell hope. I mean, every franchise tries to do it. Um, Most of them succeed. Yeah. We say, what, four or five? It's really tough to do right now. But since 1990, the NFL's postseason field has included at least four new teams every year. And that's only going to go up. And a worst to first. Addition. So, like, and there's last a legitimate year, worst to first every year. Last year, uh, the teams that just missed out on the playoffs Chargers, Dolphins, Colts, Ravens, Broncos in the AFC. All can really sell it. And in the NFC, Saints, Vikings, Falcons, Commanders were your first group out. 
in the in the NFC with Philadelphia getting the the final spot last year. But that will continue to be the trend. I mean, based on if our predictions yesterday, we have the Chargers, uh, two of the three of us. We've got uh, the Colts, Ravens. Um, did any of us have the Broncos? I didn't. I didn't. So I did not. Either. Out of the AFC alone, we're predicting three of the four. That's the average. Beyond that, the Saints, Vikings, and Falcons and Commanders would be the first group out from last year that I think would be predicted to have at least a, a great shot at being a 7 seed. And one of you had the Ravens at least winning the division. Maybe both of you. We both had yeah, the Ravens winning the division. So that's Saints a worst to first. Yeah. Yeah. That's and right. a worst to first, I think there's been a worst to first for some crazy number of years in a row, which think about that in other leagues. I mean, there's no baseball team ever going from worst in its division to first place well, in its division. Well, worst, though, was what, 8-9? I think for the Ravens last year, yes, they that were, was a pretty solid division. They were top eight to and bottom. two and or eight and three and, and lost the their final six games. Still, yeah. I, I understand, but at the worst of first annually, Chad. A lot of them have yeah, been much more dramatic. You can interact with our show at all times at Outkick three hundred and sixty on Twitter. We encourage you to do so if you've got thoughts on on what we're talking about. Also on the YouTube chat, you can get with us there. Jack writes and says Belichick is still the league's villain. I love watching the Patriots lose. He may not be wrong there because when Brady left, I think a lot more people were rooting for Tom Brady to have success minus Bill Belichick than they were rooting for Belichick and the Patriots to continue yeah. winning. Yeah, but they it's not as much decline. fun to root against them when they're not favored. Well, give it a shot because they were in the playoffs last year, and I don't think that's happening this year. So I don't know that we've seen the huge nosedive. Right, I guess the year that Brady left and you had the Cam Newton – Split season yeah, at quarterback, that was pretty bad. But then no, a year right. later, they're in the playoffs. He's right. I think people take joy in their failure this year, and specifically if you're an AFC East team and the organization. Yeah, you know, with Spygate, Deflategate. I mean, you you have some controversy that was churned through Sports Talk Radio um, that certainly fuels the hatred. Plus, they won throughout all of that. And if they didn't win, they were in it. They were in the final two of the division. Well, they of won the 11 games and didn't go the year that Brady was hurt. Yeah. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. Coming up, Trey Wallace will join us. Looking forward to hitting the SEC news notes headlines. Uh, we'll discuss Dabo Sweeney as well, getting a, a big contract extension 10 years, $115 million, uh, becoming the second highest paid coach in college football. Outkick360, excited to partner with Aurora Nutriscience. A trusted partner that keeps Outkick 360 mentally sharp and healthy. And Aurora delivers supplements where you need the most, your body. Vitalifescience.com is the website. V-I-D-A-Lifescience.com is where you can see more information. Our Outkick 360 season ticket holders receive a 15% discount with the code OUTKICK360. Typical pills, capsules, not well absorbed. But here's Aurora. Unique, cutting-edge, nutritional, and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes, and that ensures greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. So you're not going to waste this after using it. I use the vitamin C, vitamin D3, glutathione. There's so many more options to choose from at vitalifescience.com, V-I-D-A-lifescience.com for more info. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360 at vitalifescience.com. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. 
It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Solid opening weekend for college football and across the SEC. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick Network, 6th and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine, and with Trey Wallace of Outkick.com. Time to talk SEC headlines with Trey as we do each and every Thursday. Trey, hope uh, week one was well. Hope your time in Atlanta, um, while not a good game, I hope the coverage uh, behind the scenes for you was great. And here's to week two. Yeah, goodness gracious. I, it's hard to top week one, but let's hope week two does it. Uh, yeah, everything was uh Everything was good. Looking forward to a, a fun slate tomorrow, uh, or actually Saturday. I'm getting my days all mixed up. But, yeah, no, it should be good. And, uh, yeah, again, coming off five straight days of college football, you know, ending Monday night, uh, let's see what Saturday brings us. So, um, and we'll look ahead the majority of our conversation today, but I'm curious, in Atlanta, were those covering Oregon surprised by what they saw from Oregon? Not particularly because they really didn't know what Bo Nix would look like coming out against a defense like that. Um, you know, everybody knows the background of Bo Nix at Auburn. Uh, for for the folks at Oregon, you know, they're they're just now getting used to him uh, and talking to a couple of reporters uh, from out west. Um, you know, they they knew it would be tough with the offense that Oregon has and trying to implement that against a, a Georgia defense, and then you know. Also, just Oregon's Oregon's defense just did not take care of business, especially in the secondary. Um, they gave Stetson Bennett a lot of time. So it it wasn't surprising to folks that they lost. I think the fact that it was so tough to get into the end zone, I think that kind of threw them off a little bit. I think that, you know, like one person next to me said, man, at least thought we'd come out of, you know, Atlanta with 14 or more points. So <laughs> You know, is what it is. They'll we'll see what happens in the the Pac-12, but uh, no surprises really. How much with the game of the week um, here with uh, Kentucky and and Florida conceivably be different if Chris Rodriguez was a part of it? And what do you think the way Mark Stoops is handling this? Uh, what do you what do you think about that? Man, I think I think it would be a lot. A lot different if Rodriguez was getting off the plane tomorrow in Gainesville. Um, I, I still look at this game as as one to watch. I think this is going to be a blue-collar battle in the trenches between Kentucky and Florida. I think the the way that you make 
and, and get Anthony Richardson uncomfortable is make him throw the football. Uh, I think that's going to be the big thing. If Kentucky can contain the outside perimeter and not let him get loose, it's a different story. But, you know, with Kentucky's offense, it puts a lot of pressure on, you know, Kavasi Smoke puts a lot of pressure on Will, Will Levis. Um, you know, let's not forget Kentucky's down another running back uh, in Ramon Jefferson who tore his ACL. So in all reality, Kentucky's rolling down there with, you know, second, third, fourth string running backs, probably third string starting. So it's just, it's, it's going to be tough for them to establish something on the ground. But I think the positive thing out of that, Paul, is Florida's defensive line depth is not as good as it's been as it's been in years past. So I think Kentucky does have an opportunity to kind of exploit Florida's defense a little bit. It's just going to look real different without Chris Rodriguez in the backfield. Yeah, and on, on the second part of Paul's question, uh, Mark Stoops talking about the suspensions is just very odd. It's almost like, Trey, he wants to say that it's out of my hands, but yet he won't say it. He said, I've, I've been told not to talk about it. You could just easily say, look, it's a university decision at this point, so I, I have no say over it, and we're going to move on and prepare with who we have. But he's not quite willing to go there, but yet also he's getting credit for having the strong hand with his player and not putting him in for the Florida game and suspending him. It's a weird situation all around. Uh, a lot of it, he can't talk about it because he doesn't want to get in trouble with the NCAA about it, uh, too. Um, this is a university matter. This is technically like an NCAA matter. Um, this does not, the matter with Chris Rodriguez does not revolve around his arrest for DUI uh, or DWI, however you want to phrase it. Allegedly. I don't even know if the, the court situation has been handled yet, but um, it doesn't revolve around that. This is, this has something to do um, with some inner workings of a couple of players on Kentucky's roster might've gotten into a little bit of trouble with some stuff, you know, that, uh, not technically against the law. Well, that the university uh, would get involved with, right. Cause they wouldn't be involved yes. with the DWI. That'd be a coach's decision at that point. Yes. This is a university issue, not a football program issue. So that's why, I mean, Mark Stoops is not going to come out and slam Kentucky like you would slam Calipari, but I think overall, looking at it, he wants to say more, but I think he's like, all right, maybe if I say less, this can get over with a little bit sooner and uh, we can get Rodriguez back. But right now it's out of his control. And uh, yeah, I, you know, he's all, credit he, to him, he's almost hinting. All, I mean, he's, he's all but telling the media go above me and ask the same questions, please. And I've actually, actually tried that. Two right. Days ago. But I mean, that's what he, uh, essentially, that's what he's saying without ask, saying it's it. kind of an ask them, not me scenario. There, there's been a request, uh, a FOIA, you know, put in there, but right. we'll see if Kentucky actually responds. Um, but, you know, I think media members covering this kind of have a feel of what's going on and know what's going on. But honestly, it's, it's above his head. And, you know, if he was a, I was about to say something smart, Alec. He would go Brian Kelly route and say, hey, you know, uh, go let somebody above handle it. I'm not dealing with this. Go talk to the people above. He's just not that type of guy. I don't I don't see him trying to rub anybody the wrong way, in a sense, especially if one of his players is involved. In, uh, it's more than one. Right. But especially if players are involved in it and, and he's trying to come to a resolution sooner rather than later. 
Trey Wallace with us. A uh, big game on Saturday. We're, we're previewing Kentucky and Florida. Um, Kentucky's coming off the 10-win season. The fans are very cocky. I mean, just look at social media. They're expecting big things. Mark Stoops is very defensive of his program, as he should be. Meanwhile, here's Florida after a big win against Utah at home and a chance to go 2-0. and As you try to size up the magnitude of the win, who needs the win more, Kentucky or Florida? You know, I'd have to say Kentucky. Just because of expectations coming into this season, coming off last year, like Florida fans winning in that game last weekend against Utah, and they're like, okay, look, we don't really know what we're going to get. We'll be excited if AR, you know, goes off, Anthony Richardson goes off, and he has a good game, and we hang tight with Utah, and it's kind of close. Like they would have been excited for that. But then they pulled out the win, and it's like, oh, wait a minute. Okay. You know, th- this might be a good team we have here. Maybe they bought in a little quicker. Kentucky, coming off a season like last year, we've heard all offseason about Kentucky Wildcats, Kentucky Wildcats. They could be another 10-win team, battle for second in the SEC East. Maybe, you know, for Kentucky sports media members, and God bless them, you know, we can beat Georgia at home you know, late late in November. And, and I'm not saying they possibly can't. I'm just saying they have built up this Kentucky team. And I think right now, you look at it, and this Kentucky team is 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 good, but can they go down to Gainesville and grab a win without their star running back? Like that's a whole different story. Um, so I think Will Levis is good enough to make plays outside the pocket, put his head down, run over a Florida defender. How many times is he gonna be able to do that though on Saturday? And then they got to open it up down the field, catch Florida off guard. I, I think Kentucky keeps this game close, but prediction-wise for the season, I I feel like it's a bigger game for Kentucky because Florida already grabbed that signature win last week. Yep. And if you if you lose to Kentucky close or something like that, it's like, okay, we're still getting there. We're still putting it together. Let's go to let's go to Knoxville in two weeks and and see what we can do there. So I think the pressure's on. Mark Stoops in Kentucky. Trey, what I'm about to say is no direct shot at you because I don't know who you voted second. You could tell us, but did you vote Kentucky two in the East? No, I didn't. Okay. I voted, I voted, I voted Kentucky three. I voted t- Tennessee actually two. Okay. Fair enough. So the media, the, 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 the talkers who are promoting this game are pointing to Chris Rodriguez being out. The vast majority of the media covering the SEC voted Kentucky number two for more reasons than Chris Rodriguez. So I, I, I'm yeah. th- this conflict of, oh, Rodriguez is out, but at some point, Will Levis has to step up and make a pass. He has to complete a pass and a big throw in a clutch moment. And that's why they were voted number two is because of the quarterback. The quarterback is the difference maker in the minds of a lot of the media members that are voting on these polls. And I don't understand the, the excuse making because Rodriguez is out that Will Levis is somehow off the hook in this. I agree completely because the SEC media days, all the talk during the summer, fall camp, I was like, ah, Will Levis, you know, and, and, and Paul would probably know this a little bit more than you, Jonathan, than me, like, oh, in a first round draft pick and whatnot. So it's like, right. Why, why, why all of a sudden, just because Rodriguez, you know, is gone and we know what Rodriguez brings to the table. Okay. We get that part, but they've got talent. Where else in the backfield? They've got talent at wide receiver. Like it's, you know, you're going to see SEC teams this season have a player, a star player, drop 
you know, and, 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 but it can't, one player shouldn't just all of a sudden take away any expectations for the season. So that's the biggest thing in my part. It's like, okay, because I still think Kentucky can go down there and play and win. But I think that people that come away from this thing and say, well, Kentucky got beat by 14 points because Rodriguez wasn't playing. No, man. Y'all have been promoting Will Levis like he is the second coming of Tim Couch. Like you have got to be able to separate that. And for them to go down to Gainesville and pull out a win, it's going to be because of Will Levis. And, and, and if he goes down there and throws two interceptions and, and a buck 80, but runs for 80 yards, okay, we'll see how that part plays out when it comes to predictions. But all I saw in the preseason was Kentucky number two. Well, if Kentucky's number two, they damn well better go down to Gainesville and win that football game against a Florida team that's lacking a lot of depth, Jonathan, at certain spots. So what kind of chance do you give South Carolina for going on the road to Arkansas and pulling off what would be a, a huge upset and a big win for Shane Beamer's program? Chad, I love this game, man. I love it. I, I wrote about this, the, the Spencer Rattler versus KJ Jefferson battle. Like that's just going to be fun to watch. Like, look, I'm just warning everybody out there right now at 12 o'clock on Saturday, Alabama is going to play Texas, but at the same time, South Carolina is going to be playing Arkansas. Make sure to just switch over to the South Carolina Arkansas game around like twelve thirty. Once Texas, Texas, Texas is already right? conceded, so <laughs> right. So you're good there. I I look. I think I think Spencer Rattler is going to have a difficult time with the way Barry Odom is going to try to scheme against him. He is the Arkansas defensive coordinator, Barry Odom, former Missouri coach. But I do think that Spencer Rattler has enough talent to be able to get outside the pocket make plays with his legs, throw the ball down the field because he's really got a good arm. I Look, I, I, South Carolina, to me, it kind of like Mississippi State in the West. It's kind of like they can beat you. They can hang with teams, but it's going to take a little something extra to, to get a big win on the road. You know, you, you look at Arkansas, I like them. I like K.J. Jefferson. I like what they can do on defense with Bumper Pool at linebacker and – you know, what they can do with 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 Hazelwood at wide receiver. So I, I look at this matchup and I think, okay, Shane Beamer knows how to, to scheme up against these type of defenses. I think he's got a good enough staff to do this, and I think he's got a good enough quarterback. Here's the thing. I want to see what Spencer Rattler looks like going on the road in the SEC and playing against a defense like Arkansas that's led by Barry Odom who's going to know how to scheme him and, and contain him in the pocket. Because I feel like Spencer Rattler's got a hell of an arm. He can find a receiver down the field. They can try to switch it up somehow, make him roll outside the pocket and, and, and find somebody 15, 20 yards out. That's how they're going to win the football game against Arkansas. You know, I look at this, Chad, and I think, how are South Carolina defenders going to take care of KJ Jefferson? I mean, the guy's six foot four. 250 to 260 pounds, you know, he's a bulldozer running over. He reminds me of the running back for the Tennessee Titans, but he's playing quarterback. So I just feel like this game, to me, is going to be one of the better games of the day. I think South Carolina is going to be able to hang around with Arkansas, and I think we're going to head into the fourth quarter, and, and one of these teams is going to potentially pull away, but I think it's going to be a good game, a hell of a lot better than what you're going to see in Austin, Texas. Trey, Tennessee at Pitt should also be a good game. 
I really, at the start of the season, I kind of circled three pivot point type games for Tennessee that were virtual toss-ups coming into the season. At Pitt, Florida at home, at LSU would be three that I would circle. This is test number one. Many would argue if Hendon Hooker started last year's game against Pitt, Tennessee would have won the game. But also, we must keep in mind that one of Hendon Hooker's three interceptions he threw all year ended Tennessee's chances in this game, driving late in the fourth quarter against Pitt a year ago. What is the revenge factor like for Hendon Hooker and Tennessee in this game? What do you think about Tennessee's chances going on the road and getting a big non-conference win? Here's, here's one of the big things that stands out is Tennessee's going to have a quarterback that they know that, that we all saw that first game last year with Joe Milton. There are questions already in the air. So Tennessee knows who their starting quarterback. Second big one is for Tennessee. Their starting running back is going to be available in Jabari Small, who wasn't available last year. Now, look, it's hard to compare the game last year to the game this year because you know, Tennessee's offense is so much different than where they were in that second game. But I feel like Hendon Hooker has such a grasp on what Josh Heupel wants to do. You know, I, I went back and timed in the first half. I went back and, and timed plays. I mean, they were running plays within five seconds. Um, uh, uh, of the previous play, getting the ball straight to the umpire, the referee. You know, it was crazy to watch how quick they were going. Biggest thing to me this weekend, Chad, is how does Tennessee's offensive line stack up against Pitt's defensive line? Because they're going to bring pressure. They're going to figure out and try to figure out a way to keep Hendon Hooker contained. And then it's all about what they do in the secondary. Because here's your biggest problem for Pittsburgh, and, and they're good, but here's your problem. You're going to throw two guys on Cedric Tillman? Okay, then you're going to leave Jalen Hyatt one-on-one in the middle, and then you got Brew McCoy on the outside who's going to be one-on-one. So how does Pitt and Pat Narduzzi figure out, okay, who are we going to manage here on this play or this play when it comes to their wide receivers? Because I think that's very big to me. And then having Jabari Small in the backfield, a veteran, it's going to be able to pass block as well. I think that's very key for Tennessee this weekend against the Panthers because of what Hendon Hooker can do in the pocket. It's not just with his feet. It's not just him scrambling, you know, outside for 15 to 20 yards. So, you know, to, to me, it, it's all about how you can get Pittsburgh uncomfortable with what you're doing on offense. And, and honestly, I, I think they can. I think this is, I don't think this is going to be some Tennessee blowout. So if you think, Tennessee's going to go up there and just beat up Pittsburgh and whatnot. I don't feel like that's going to happen. I think this is a game that you go into the fourth quarter. I, I've I've written a column for tomorrow. I got Tennessee winning. I guess I'll leave out how by how much, but I feel like right now Tennessee is kind of moving on offense, and you're finding a Pittsburgh team coming off such a crazy game in the backyard brawl. They've got to re-up that energy, and Tennessee's going to be ready to go. I'm interested to see what Pitt looks like. So a sneaky, great game on Saturday. This is a Jonathan Hutton special. Kicks off at 10 p.m. Central Time in Arizona. Mississippi State at Arizona. Uh, I wouldn't have thought much about this game until Arizona went to San Diego State and just housed the Aztecs, which I did not see coming in that game. 41,000 tickets have been sold to this game, Arizona announced. They expect a lot of them to be Mississippi State fans making the trek to a rare away game at Arizona, and cowbells are allowed inside the stadium. So they're going to try to create the cowbell effect on the road at Arizona. Trey, your thoughts on this matchup? 
I just I'm just picturing in my head Mississippi State fans rolling into Tucson, Arizona, and hanging out downtown at the bars with their cowbells and whatnot. Man, I, you know that's a that's a pretty fun environment uh, for the East Coast people out there. Uh, I'm sorry this game kicks off at 11 o'clock and you have to stay up till 2:30 to finish it, but it is what it is. Uh, it's going to be fun to watch, man. This you know. It, it SEC schools going out west and playing in these type of games, they're intriguing. They're just, you know, it's something different that you don't see. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when LSU went out to UCLA or, um, you know, you you look at, I think it was years ago, Mississippi State went out to Provo and played at BYU, yep. if I'm not mistaken. They did. Yeah, so it's just, you know, it, it's one of those games where it's just, it's kind of intriguing. Like you look at the schedule, like, all right, well, the day's over after Florida, Kentucky. Well, no, wait a minute. We get State and Will Rogers and Mike Leach going out there and playing on Fox Sports 1. I think this is a game Mississippi State should go out there and win. I think they should pass the ball against Arizona's defense, which is sloppy at times. Uh, I did get to watch a little bit of them from last week. So, you know, I know that Arizona is coming off that big win, but I feel like with what Will Rogers can do, passing the ball around um, and then just trying to stabilize the run game, I think Mississippi State wins, but it's going to be fun, man. Cowbells in, in, in Arizona Stadium, and you know Fox Sports One is going to amp it up, and you know that one, that one should be a fun game. And you know, Chad, you you brought up a sleeper. I'm going to bring up a sleeper in y'all's town where you're at right now. I think uh, I got a weird feeling that Vanderbilt is going to hit their win total over this Saturday against Wake Forest. Something about this wow. game just kind of, I don't. Mike Wright getting outside the pocket, scrambling. Can they get up and play for Clark Lee on defense? I mean, they're 2-0. I know they're 2-0 against. But, man, it would talk about just getting crazy with Vanderbilt if they start 3-0 on the season. Uh, Trey, better chance to win Vandy over Wake Forest or Appalachian State at A&M? I was wondering if you would bring up App State. I was going to ask over hard. under 60. Well, the ones, no, one spreads 10, one's like 19. Uh, I'll let you know, guess which one is which, but, I mean, you could make an argument one way or the other that there's a better chance of an upset. I Look, App State, I think we all watched a lot of that game against UNC. It was pretty fun to watch. And the Tar Heels defense, yes. I know, I know. Um, I, I, you know what? I'm going to go Vanderbilt over Elon before Appalachian State over AM. Oh, you mean Wake Forest? Wake. They've already, they've they've already took Elon. care of Elon. You can't Wake have that Forest. one. Yeah. They gave up 31, uh, but they took care of business in the end against Elon. So come on. They, got they, were playing, the way. they were playing scrubs at the end, Chad. Vanderbilt's now putting in scrubs in the fourth quarter. Let's give biggest, them a little credit. Biggest thing I learned last week watching the second half of Elon and Vandy is Elon would win by three touchdowns over Hawaii. Oh, yeah. A- easily. Far better team. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Absolutely without a doubt. And, and that, you know, I, the biggest thing to me, like with in College Station that's going on right now, guys, is like they've got a game against Miami next week, right? And I get Miami's still rebuilding, but don't overlook App State and keep it close where you're playing guys late in the fourth quarter when you got the Hurricanes coming to town next week, and then they got to go to Arlington to play Arkansas in two weeks. So tough stretch for A and M coming up. Only guess if you haven't seen it: Hawaii is at Michigan oh, in the Big I- House this week. What is the point spread of that 51. game? I'm going to go Michigan 40. 46. 51 and a half. Let me go up a little further. H- Hutton, have you seen this? No. It's 51 and a half. 
on the nose. Oh, I have not. It. I swear, I've not seen that, it. That is an incredible pull right there. Fifty-one and a half 50. for Michigan. Yeah, I was going to say that game should 50. have been unscheduled the moment Vanderbilt walked off the field. Is that the highest Honolulu. spread of the week? Well, I saw. I think uh, Dan Wetzel. Someone said, you know, prayers for Dan Wetzel for you taking Michigan to cover, and he said, I got him at fifty and a half. You know what, guys? Before it moved <laughs> up, double the spread. Watch that. What? Double the spread Georgia's, this week in Michigan. Gosh. Hey, Georgia Sanford. Yeah. Georgia Sanford. Well, you know, which one's going to score well, more? Yeah, is, is there a – I'm curious if there's a line on that. A lot of times they won't say, release a line with yeah, an FCS fair. opponent. I know. I'm just well, – well, Can some, you find Look, it? there is some sports book out there that I promise you has that game. Yeah, you, you can go find it. You can find it, but it, like sometimes it's just not listed. But yeah. there's, there's places that will put a number on it for sure. Um, Trey. Have a great college football weekend. Appreciate the, the knowledge and insight on the show. And as always, uh, check out Trey's work at outkick.com. We'll be reading. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. Appreciate y'all. Same to you. There's Trey Wallace, uh, SEC coverage at outkick.com. Never stops there, especially uh, during football season. Uh, he's got you covered there on all things Southeastern Conference. Coming up with the NFL kicking off tonight, Pay attention to points of, quote-unquote, points of emphasis with the officiating structure this year. And what, what's the point of emphasis this year, Paul? It's defensive um, holding or something? Con- illegal contact, contact. Illegal contact downfield, p- past five yards. Um, there will be crews that will call it more than others because, on average, there is a big gap between the crews that call the most and the least penalties across the NFL. And Rick Goslin compiled that and we'll give the highlights of what he found over the last decade or so. That's next on Outkick 360. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'll kick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Rick Goslin, uh, fantastic at digging up numbers and compiling stats, and he does it with the NFL officials as well. We don't get this information often, I would say. We hear about points of emphasis of the offseason. I know Mike Vrabel, head coach of the Titans, is on the competition committee. He's saying, hey, there shouldn't be any points of emphasis. Just call penalties as you see them. The, the problem with that is the crews, there is a big disparity between crews. For instance, tonight, for Bills and Rams, Carl Sheffers is your referee. And as Goslin has compiled, he's one of the top guys throwing flags. In fact, the disparity last year, no one threw more flags than Sheffers' crew. Bill Vinovich threw the least amount on his crew. Vinovich's crew assessed 81 fewer penalties for 807 fewer yards than Sheffers. Now, all-time for the current White Hats across the league, Sean Hockley, who's only been a lead official for four seasons, he averages, his crew averages more penalties than any crew. But Sheffers has been an official for 14 years. Only Jerome Bozier, who is the lead official for Titans Giants, has thrown more. And then you have, at the very bottom, an average of 11 penalties per game, Bill Vinovich, when the lead crew, Chad, throws an average of 14. 
That is a huge gap, That's and that big changes games. Difference. That changes games. Rhythm, flow, offensive rhythm, um, how you may call a play or what you may do and what you may uh, point to during the week of how to get an advantage here or there. It changes week to week with these crews, Paul. I, I, I mean, it's a problem for sure. I think the league's reply would be, you know, there's the, you know, outside of the human element of, of guys being different would be, you know, every once in a while you hear a football fan say about baseball, I, I, I don't like that the parks are different, you know, which I think is ridiculous. That's part of the beauty of baseball is that the, the fields are, have some different shape to them, different foul ground, different dimensions. A home run here might not be a home run there. I think football, uh, the league office would say, well, you know, you get a little bit different game right. between guys. And I think a little bit different a game. Gap. Yeah, I think a little bit different game is fine. But this is far too big a gap between the top and the bottom. And it needs to be more uniform. And they worry about uniform with the socks and the length your of your pants. If your jersey's untucked, they find you. Right. But they don't but worry about okay uniform But they're okay with a big here. discrepancy with and the officiating? I, I think they do worry about it. And I think they're not okay with it. I just think they can't fix it. The vast majority of the crews average around 12, 12 to 13. High end's 14, and the low end is 11. So they're, they're around that marker. It's the outliers. But the yardage, the like it's, the, it's, the, uh, it's not just necessarily what you average, but it's the yardage that's way off. And that truly affects, that it, that affects Vegas, that affects lines. But this is the quiet thing that's kept in the drawer uh, of the offseason and during the season. But uh, trust us when we say the, the coaching staffs know this. One of the things they're going through on Saturdays on the road hotel or a home during a meeting is who the officials are and what the emphasis is on. And it's in their playbooks. Uh, you know, everybody's on a, an iPad or a Microsoft yeah. Surface now. And there is a chapter, if you will, about what the officials' tendencies are and how to best play around or within those tendencies. And week to week, if the best coaching staffs are doing that. Coming up later, one big thing on every NFL game for week one. We've got that for you. Armando Salguero is with us in 25 minutes. Headlines of the day when we return, including Dabo's big contract extension, and we'll take a look at Bills, Rams, and much more. Stetson Bennett in NIL is cashing in, plus Ed Orgeron. That's all next on OutKick 360.